Sunday morning, Northgate and friends. We're going to get into God's Word this morning. So if you're watching this before our service at 10 a.m., we will be indoors at Farrell Hall today. Forecast called for rain. So just to get that word out, if you're one of those special people that watches the message before the message. Anyways, let's pray. We'll get into God's Word. Thank you, Lord. You're gracious, you're good, you're in control, you're powerful, you're perfect. We have nothing to fear. And Lord, we choose you always, each and every day. And we pray this in your precious name. Amen. So for those who have been following the reading schedule, yes, we came to the end of it last week, conclusion. Those who are still reading, keep at it. Don't be discouraged. Whatever the pace, God's word is good. It will not come back void. So continue to persevere and learn and grow. But for those who have finished, we just finished with the book of Revelation. Now, Revelation. Wow, that brings lots of thoughts, especially in this time and many different perspectives. But I just wanted to give you one thought this morning from the book of Revelation that will hopefully encourage you. I've taught through Revelation a couple of times and one thing I've noticed is there's a real need or what should I say an appetite for people to see prophecies come to play or logically play out with time graphs what's happening. But I think a lot of this book is set poetically. It's in images and we fail to see some of the wonderful things God would have us to see because we're too busy trying to figure maybe timelines out. Now, that's probably not you, but that's something I've struggled with, especially in these days. But when we see the context of the book, it helps us a bit to understand what Jesus was trying to say through the visions he gave to John. As you read in chapter 1, it becomes very clear to us, obviously, the author is John, and he's writing to seven churches, the number of seven big in Revelation. There's three sets of judgments of seven. There's seven churches, as I mentioned, so lots of, lots of sevens, but John writing to these seven churches, why these seven commentators argue if you have a good idea, let me know. They weren't the only churches there at the time, but God cho chose these, these seven. But when John writes this, he makes this statement in verse 9. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. John was on this island, Patmos, just for a little historical um, yeah, context again, where it was Patmos. It was this island, but it wasn't like a vacation island. There was no beach or beautiful mountains or beautiful scenery. Basically, it was an Alcatraz of the time, a prison island full of rocks and hard labor. This wasn't a vacation. And clearly he's saying, I'm a companion with you, you seven churches who are suffering in the midst of some form of tribulation, not the tribulation, but I'm writing knowing how you feel, knowing what it's like to be persecuted, 
knowing the pressure probably of the Roman Empire upon them, and no doubt Paul himself on Patmos because of the Roman Emperor. And it's not easy, it's difficult, times are very troubled, yet John receives this vision to give to the people that will encourage them. It will give them a boost. It will say some things that are very important. Speaking of the revelation. You say the revelation. Revelation to the future? Absolutely not. It's called the revelation of Jesus Christ in verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to show his servants. The unveiling. The showing of who Jesus is is that's this whole book john in in trouble tribulation difficulty churches in trouble in tribulation roman empire persecution government over them here it is but i'm going to reveal to you jesus and what jesus will do and it's so important and so encouraging when we're in any circumstance if Jesus can be revealed to us we need to see him in the beauty of Revelation chapter 1 which I think is key to the whole book is it gives us a picture of Jesus now oftentimes we see Jesus on earth as that carpenter that gentle loving which he was completely human uh, man but yet God so loving and Jesus is completely loving but here in Revelation chapter 1 we have a little different picture of what Jesus is today in heaven let's take a quick look starting in verse 11 where it says this I am Jesus speaking the Alpha and the Omega the first and the last and what you see being first of all this picture of Jesus right in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. Then I turned to see, to see this unveiling, this picture of Christ. I turned to see the voice that spoke to me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun, shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his hand on me and said to me, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. Again, when I picture Jesus, I don't usually see him like this. But as we look at this and we look at the description, we see divinity, we see power, we see strength, we see purity, we see so many things that represent, yeah, a king, that represent 
a high priest that represent someone who's in complete control, someone who has power to make judgment, someone who would instill a little fear. Think of the the waters rushing down. I don't know if you've been beside Niagara Falls or a great waterfall and the power of that and, and the noise of that uh, is so much or uh, a fire when it is so hot or the purity of snow. These pictures, these poetic images are absolutely wonderful. But again, they show us that Christ is in complete control. And not only does it say once, but it says twice that he's the first and the last, at the beginning, the Alpha and the Omega. At the end, I'm the first and the last, two times. Nothing surprises him. He's been there since the beginning. He'll be there at the end. And even in our life, maybe like those seven churches, maybe like John, seem, things seem to be out of control. Nothing surprises the Lord. He's not out of control. He's in complete control in this description of what's going to happen in the end, what they were going through. He's telling them, I am in charge. I am sovereign. I can handle it. Don't worry. Do not be afraid. It's an amazing thought because sometimes when we feel the fear of our circumstance, we try to take control and we do a lot of crazy things. We try to act like God instead of allowing God to be God. But one of the greatest lessons they were learning in the midst of difficulty, Christ was coming back, Christ was in control, and they could trust him. Can I tell you this morning that he is in complete control? When it seems your life is out of control, he is in complete control. When it seems the world is out of control, he is in complete control. He has everything under the palm of his hand. Nothing surprises him. You know, I've mentioned this before, this little picture, but it helps me sometimes if I'm driving somewhere at night and I don't trust the driver, I feel I should stay awake thinking I can stop a crash. But if I do trust the driver, I will fall asleep because I know I can trust them. They're in control and everything will be all right. But it's this thing that we have that sometimes we don't trust Jesus who's driving our car. But we can trust him. We can trust that he's coming back. We can trust that he's with us. We can trust that he will judge evil. He is sovereign. Perfect, beautiful. Just a couple weeks ago, or maybe just one week ago, I was with my friend Andy Clausen, and he asked me this question. What do you think of these times with, with everything going on? How do you feel about it? And I gave him my answer. And I said, what about you, Andy? What do you think? Well, you know what? I think we're closer to the end. But one thing I know is that Jesus is in control, and I have peace. Can you say that today? Do you know that? Are you living in fear of circumstance in your life or in the world? Are you living knowing that God is sovereign? Nothing's surprising him. He's in complete control. This is a scriptural message in their time, in trouble, in persecution, in difficulty. But yet, as John in this vision reveals Jesus, he is in complete control. Second, as you look at some of these things, I often think of them, the sash and the long robe and the the white hair and I think of a wig you know what I think of back in the day I 
I think of a, of a judge, you know, with the long black robe and the sash and the woolly white hair, obviously the purity and the gold is divinity. And um, even the brass shoes speak of judgment in scripture. Brass is the metal of judgment, but you have this picture of a judge. And I want to tell you, not only is God in control, but secondly, he is the perfect judge and that he will deal with evil and we don't have to fear that he will take care of things that are not of him in the end, the end of the story. So much of Revelation, don't try and figure it out. But the greater theme is, know the unveiling of Jesus. He's in control and he's coming back and he will judge what is not right. And there is so much peace in that. I don't know if you've ever been in school and you had a good teacher and the good teacher stuck with what was true and he didn't let any nonsense go on in the end, even if your friends were doing it. But in the end, they were they were going to get caught. And with Jesus, we can completely trust his judgment. It's full of grace and truth. He's forgiving, but he'll deal with those who reject and turn away from him. It says in John 5 verse 30, that the judgments that he makes are right because he judges on the basis of what he hears from his father. The perfect judge. And you know what? That comforts me. It's almost like reading a suspense book or a book where the enemy is winning, winning, winning. And then in the end, righteousness or truth comes. We can't stop reading that book in the middle, but we have to carry on. We can't stop and think of where we're at now, but we have to understand that this sovereign, perfect God, this unveiling Jesus just like God, his character is righteous and perfect, and he judges with grace and truth. Praise God. Would you be comforted as those churches were being comforted? at that time, knowing like, listen, he's perfect, he's in control, and he will judge, and he will take care of evil. And it's not our job. It is his, because he is perfect. Thirdly, as we look at this perfect judge, and John saw this amazing character, this Jesus, not one who he maybe would lay his breast upon, though we are thankful for the compassion of Christ, he sees this Jesus, and it says in verse 17, he falls down at his feet as dead. Obviously controlled by, wow, wow. Look at this Jesus. Maybe a little fear because Jesus says to him, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I'm in control. And he goes on. I didn't read it, but in verse 18, I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. This perfect, powerful God, this perfectly righteous judge, he is alive. But if our response is to fear this power to fear this perfect judge we we need just like john jesus to grab our hand and say to us do not be afraid 
such a relational aspect in the midst of this judgment. And so much of this book, you just can't look at it like these judgments without relationship because Jesus always in the midst of judgment is inviting people back to himself, inviting people to himself and calling his church not to be afraid. You know, James chapter one says, mercy triumphs over judgment. And that's our character of God, though he will take care of evil. He's always inviting to himself, come to me, come to me. If you don't, here are the consequences, but come to me. That invitation, and even in all of these judgments, we see this unveiling of Jesus, this powerful God dealing with evil. But even as you look at the churches and go on, repent and come to me. Repent, do the first works. Repent, turn away from sin. Come to me, come to me. You know, some will not, they'll blaspheme him. But we have this great opportunity with this perfect judge, this perfect God. And he's saying, don't be afraid. I'm in control. I'm alive. But come to me. You know, a lot of the major prophets have a similar feel in the Old Testament. The woes, the judgment coming. Woe, be careful. This is what's going to happen. Destruction to Jerusalem or destruction to these enemies. As you read Jeremiah and Isaiah and Ezekiel. And wow, sometimes they're really hard to read. But I love it in the fact as you read those books that Jesus is always in the midst of those judgments, inviting people back to himself. This week I had the pleasure of speaking at Calvary Christian Academy and I brought them this message out of Jeremiah chapter 6 that at that point, that particular judgment, God was judging Israel, actually the southern kingdom, Judah, for their sin. And he said, it's coming. And we, and we know it did come, but it's interesting that he says in verse 16, that you're at a crossroads, you stand at a crossroads. I have to judge, but you turn back to the old way, turn back to the ancient pathway, turn back to the good way. In the midst of judgment coming, our God who is perfect says, don't be afraid, but turn back to me, to my way, to my truth, to my love. Turn back to me. Do not fear. Turn back to me. I'm in control. Go to the old way of trusting and walking. And there, it says in chapter uh, 6 verse 16, you will find rest for your souls. As we come back to this perfect God in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of his judgment, we will have his grace and his truth and the invitation to walk in his way. I am so encouraged. You see, as I see God's judgment for sure coming at some point, I don't know when and how, but relationally, poetically, I see Jesus revealed and he's in control and he's calling me to himself and he says, do not be afraid. I'm alive. Just like the disciples I'll close with this in the boat when the storm came and Jesus was sleeping. Circumstances were bleak and they forgot that Jesus was on the boat with them. 
And they woke him up and they shook him. There's a storm, there's waves, things are out of control. What is it, tribulation of the waves or persecution or circumstances stink? But Jesus says to him, wake up, wake up. And he says, you of little faith, you know I'm here. Don't we know that he's in control? Don't we know that he loves us? Don't we know that he's the perfect judge? Don't we know that he'll be victorious in the end? And we can trust in him. Praise God. I love those thoughts. And I needed to hear them this week. For my heart, not to fear the things around me, but to do what God's called me to do, to sense comfort in his control, not to fear people, but to walk with him. Be encouraged today. Lord Jesus, thank you for who you are. Lord, we, we have no power outside of you. We have no control outside of you. We trust you. You're driving this ship of our lives. You're on the ship with us as we believe and love you. God, help us. Help us to see you. Would you reveal yourself to us, even in this moment? Praise God. Just hear him saying that he loves us, and he's in control. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you next Sunday, hopefully outside. Bye-bye.